So welcome in to another Backroads podcast. This is the week nine version. Believe it or not, Bobby, we are here. So much to talk about in a time when there were only 50 games out there, but it seems like we got so many news and notes from what's going on. So let's not waste time. Let's get this thing started. I'm Craig Spree with the Happy Sports Network and PressPassSports.com. And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. Bobby, I got to tell you, only 50 games, but yet it just feels like the whole world, just all kinds of things thrown at us this week. Yes, exactly. I started writing my notes page on Tuesday. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, lots of things. Uh, I scroll through Facebook. I've, I've got lots of notes and news. But, you know, of course, first we have a wonderful interview with a great coach and then all the player stats and uh, game scores. So. I guess we better get to it. Well, let's start the podcast off with the way we do every week, and that is with a coaching interview. And this week, we've got a guy whose team uh, I think is flying quietly under the radar, even if they are ranked in the top five. I just don't think people give him enough respect. And that is head coach Clint Lemon over at Whiteface. Coach, welcome in this afternoon. Thanks for having me. All right, Coach. So I got to ask you this. Before we get into your Whiteface antelopes, and there's plenty to talk there about, but a lot of coaches listen to our podcast, and and I want to go back to 2018 when you won a state title with McLean. And I want to ask you, at what point in time did you look at that team and go, this is something special? Well, really, from the first week of two days, to be honest with you, uh, I knew we could be a really good football team. And I knew coming out of 2017 that we had a chance because we brought so many players back that were pretty good players you know we got beat twice by happy that year in in the uh really in the district championship game over there at happy and they just ran through us I mean I don't I don't know how many untouched touchdowns they had and I said we got to get a lot better we ended up meeting happy then again in the quarterfinals and, and they beat us but we played so much better and so we knew there were some things defensively if we could get right that we had a chance to be a pretty good team and um, that you know they went to work the rest of that year and into the summer and and uh, they they were real hungry um, and you know and and that group loved to be physical and and you know kind of play the game the right way and and I just thought their mentality in two days that next year and then you know we played strong in the kickoff classic um, that year and that was a really good game and I thought we got a chance if we stay healthy be a pretty good football team and. And we just kind of took it week by week and, and um, you know, got better as the year went on. And, and uh, it, was, it was pretty fun. Well, I agree with you. That 2017 state quarterfinal team is the one that opened my eyes to McLean because I thought you guys uh, – I looked at that and I looked at your roster and thought, oh, my, this is going to be a really good team going forward. Um, let me ask you also – winning a state title, do you feel like you learned anything as a coach that maybe you didn't have prior to that? Mm, I don't know. I, I think when you make deep runs into the playoffs, you know, whether you go to the state championship, win a state, I think you learn a ton through those games, you know, because those are winner go home games and you're always playing good teams. If you're playing deep into the playoffs and you learn, a, you learn a lot. Um, you know, I think regardless of win or lose, we turned around in 2019 and lost one. And I probably got out coached in that game by Coach Thornhill and his staff. And I learned a lot in that game. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I, I got to tell you, I, I was going to say, I, I believe um, against Rankin, Ben Crockett just carried the ball for the 73rd time just a while ago. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we threw the ball one time that that game and it was right before halftime and it was a pick six. And so I learned my lesson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he carried the ball a ton. I think he had 43 carries is what it was in that game. So let's move forward to your 2023 Whiteface Antelopes team, a team that I got to see in the preseason uh, in a scrimmage against Happy and really impressive to me. Just talk about, about your team. I know that Ethan Kaufman kind of leads the way from an offensive standpoint, but talk about your team and and how much they have gelled this season to, to really put up the formidable record that they have. A lot of these guys played last year, um, big roles, and some of them got hurt and weren't able to come back and, and play in the role that, you know, we originally kind of thought they'd play last year. And so, I mean, they, they're they pretty hungry. You know, we played a lot of juniors and sophomores last year. And so those juniors and sophomores come back this year and they're real hungry. And, um, you know, it's came 100% from them. You know, intrinsically they want to be good and they want to be tough and, and um, you know, still learn the game. And we felt like we needed to shore up some things defensively big time. And so that's kind of been the – that's kind of been the focus and then learn how to run the football. And so they've done, you know, they've done a good job. When you look at region two and, and I mean, Bobby and I both look at it and go, man, this, this is the region of death here because there's yeah. so many good teams. What do you think it's going to take from your team uh, making the assumption you make the playoffs, which I don't see why you wouldn't, but we won't put the cart before the horse, but assuming that you do, what do you feel like your team is going to have to do to get through this tough region? Well, we have to get through district first and, and come out of district where we want to come out of district. Um, so that's kind of what our focus on is right now. You know, everybody's zero and zero right now in our district. And so that's kind of what we're thinking about right now. And, and when we get to playoff time, we'll worry about that then. So tell us what the Whiteface community has meant to you and your family here over the last few years. Yeah, Whiteface is a great place. They've been very, very supportive. Um great administration support um we have a good coaching staff uh, it's been it's been really fun man they say they say white face family you know everything they do inside the school and it really is that way and uh, my kids love it here uh, my wife works here as well loves it and it's just it's been good going out there to white face I, I felt like it was i'd never been there before i felt like it was a place i was going man what is it great facilities out there Talk about what that means to you as a coach being have having facilities like that to be able to prepare your team. Yeah, they, you know, and they're not new facilities, but they've done a good job taking care of them. And it's nice. I mean, we have a nice stadium. It's beautiful. And the field's well taken care of. It's beautiful. And and you know, we need to redo our track here in the next year or two, but it's a great facility and good practice area, um, good locker room areas, and it's just real nice. And I just want to make sure our kids understand that they're blessed to have what they have and and um, and you learn to take care of it. So I got to ask you, as as one of the better coaches in the six man community, where did your love for six man football come from? Well, I grew up in Colorado at Revere High School um, and we were we played six man. It's all I ever knew. Um, um, we were lucky enough when I was in high school to win two, two state championships in Colorado and it was a big time. I mean, I remember being a little elementary kid and you just couldn't wait. Like that was the thing to, to go be a Revere Raider and, and, and play football. And, and um, my coach, Dave Rice, 
was my coach. I don't know how many titles he's won. Um, it's just, I mean, that's just what I grew up with. Um, and then, you know, and then my first coaching job, I got to coach with John Cornelius, who at the time was like the third winningest six-man coach um, in, in Texas. And, and um, so I was lucky to, to kind of cut my teeth with John and, you know, learned a lot and thought I knew a lot until I took my first head coach job. And then I realized I really didn't know very much. And so it's been a learning process still. And I learn every year and every day and, and you go back and watch film. And sometimes I think, golly, you're not very smart. So, um, but no, I just grew up with it. And, and so it's, it's quite the game. Now, now that leads to the question because I can't let you get away without this. What kind of football player were you in high school? Well, I worked hard. I'm going <laughs> to say that way. No, I, I love the game. I loved it. I, I tell my kids all the time, I loved practice. Even as a player, I, I absolutely loved practice. And um, if I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't in sports, I was at home working. I grew up on a ranch and my dad worked the dog out of me and my brother. And so, you know, I, I really got into athletics to get away from work. And, um, and so, no, I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. Um, I played a little bit of quarterback and played a little bit of end, a little bit of outside linebacker. And, and, um, I just absolutely loved it. So that begs the question. I got to think that you probably were a pretty hard nosed players. Is that what you try to instill in your players? Because that seems to be any team that you've had seems to be kind of a hard nosed get after it team. Yes, sir. You know, there's not very many things in society where physicality rewards you, Right. And, and football is one of those things. And, man, if, if I don't care what side of the ball you're on. If you'll be physical, um, I think it matters over the course of a game. I really, really do. And, and, um, and there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And once kids get figured out, I think that's where you make a big jump, just in the physicality of the game. Well, Coach, I have to agree with you with the physicality. I, I've always told people that who have not seen the six man game. There's such a, uh, a stigma that it's just basketball on a, on a football grass. But I tell them the most physical team is going to win nine times out of 10, unless you just have absolutely superior athletes on the other side. So uh, I would have to agree with you on the physicality part. I think it makes a huge difference in six man. Yes, sir. I think it is. I mean, look at, look at Westbrook the last couple of years, they're so physical on both sides and then, and do everything so fast that, they don't do anything X's and O's wise that's very fancy. They just, I mean, they just get after it on both sides and and it's been successful for them. And, and you go back even like Sterling City when they won it a couple years ago, those guys were physical. My guys at McLean were physical. That Blum team that beat us in 2019, those kids were physical and tough. And I just think it matters. Growing up, like, we took a lot of pride as a Revere Raider in high school, you know, being tough and physical. And that's just, I think it, I really think it matters. I mean, I do. Well, coach, best of luck this season with your Whiteface Antelopes, a really talented team, one that I think is going to go a, a long ways. But uh, best of luck for the rest of the season, and we will talk to you down the road. Yes, sir. Man, it was, it was good to catch up with Coach Lindman. He, he runs a really good program, and I'm telling you, Whiteface is going to surprise some people. I realize they're ranked in the top five, but I just don't think people realize how good they are. I don't either. And we've said that, I think, every week on the podcast, haven't we, Craig? We have, and I'll continue to beat that drum. And, I mean, it is a a, a region of doom there, death, whatever you want to call it, in Region 2. And 
So, you know, anybody getting beat at any point in time once they make the playoffs there is not going to surprise anybody. But that is not a team I know I would not want to line up against on, on a Thursday or Friday night in the playoffs because they're going to bring it to you just like Coach Lindman is. Oh, yeah. Every single play, they're going to bring it right squarely to your chest and you better be ready for it. You better be ready. Well, let's get ready for it and let's start in Division One and talk about bringing things at you. We'll begin at the top. Uh, the number one, Knox City Greyhounds were on a bye week like so many teams this week. But number two, Westbrook was in action. They had district play against the Roby Lions. And they won that one 49 to nothing. Keegan Gilbreth, four carries, 85 yards, a touchdown. Grayson Jeffrey touched the ball twice. He went 80 yards and scored twice. He said, eh, this is easy. And then Parker Matlock uh, from his defensive position, very underrated, I think, and, and, and definitely an all-stater here. 11 and a half tackles, two sacks, five tackles for loss. Get this one, Bobby. Westbrook held Roby to negative 38 rushing yards, zero total yards in the game. You better learn to pass against Westbrook because you're not going to run it. No, no. And you know they're going their defense is just going to be suffocating. That's another thing you got to get ready for. <laughs> and it flies at you at a whole quicker level than you're ready for. <laughs> Number three, Gordon over Bryson at 54 to eight. Number six, Jonesboro. No problem with the Mountaineers, 54 to nothing as they topple Santa Ana, which takes us to number seven, Happy. And they went uh, almost three hours north to take on the Booker Kiowas, the outlaw team. Booker's that place that started out in the Oklahoma Panhandle. They moved seven miles south uh, and became into the state of Texas. But Happy wins that one 48 to 22, an odd game here. Happy goes up 26 to nothing and just could not put the Kiowas away. Uh, give Booker a lot of credit. They, they, they fought and scratched and clawed in this game till the bitter end. Uh, Noy Juarez, 8 of 14, 133 yards passing and four touchdowns. Jackson Stoker, 93 yards rushing. He was able to get in the end zone. Quay Hodges, the big man playing running back one more week, 89 yards rushing, a touchdown, a receiving touchdown. Uh, next thing you know, he's going to think he's Earl Campbell. So uh, we got to get him out of the backfield in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the guy was Chase Nelson, 21 of 32 through the air, 210 yards and three touchdowns. Booker couldn't get anything going on the ground, only 51 yards rushing, and most of that came on just a couple of plays. Happy's uh, defense uh, up front was really good, but the Kiowas had an effective passing game in that one. Well, if, you know, I got to give Quay some some props here. <laughs> I no, mean, we can't do that. Yes, we can. I mean, we think of Quay on defense because that's what he's always played. This year... You know, because of some injuries and things that have happened to the Cowboys, Quay has actually stepped into a role that he's not familiar with, and he has done an outstanding job. So I know I have been joking right along with you about Quay Hodges and his offensive um, prowess, but he's done a great job. So you go, Quay. I'm proud of you. <laughs> The only thing is we got to teach him how to go under center and take a snap because it's still a little bit odd looking, but <laughs> doesn't Can quite walk up there like he owns the place, but you know. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my goodness. Oh, it is a sight to see. And then let's finish out in division one. Spring Lake Earth, no problem with Anton. They take out the Bulldogs there, 68 to 18. Going down to Division Two, it was the Jayton Jaybirds, no problem with the Jaguars from Guthrie, 52 to nothing. Number three, Klondike, all over loop, 64 to nothing. Jared Quintanilla, 
Quintanilla. Let's say that right. Jared Quintanilla. I'll get his last name right. Four carries, 91 yards, two touchdowns, three of three through the air. Great stat. Three of three, 61 yards uh, passing. All three completions, all three turned into touchdowns. Two of those to Luke Smith. Two uh, receptions for Luke, 41 yards and two touchdowns. They held the Longhorns to minus one total yards. Number five, Amherst, all over Wellman Union, 56 to nothing. It was number six, Whitherell, over Cotton Center, 45 nothing. Brent Robinson, four carries, 71 yards and two touchdowns. Landon Lee, 41 yards rushing, two scores himself. They held the uh, Elks to zero first downs and a negative 12 in total yardage. But uh, I think more importantly, when you talk about Whitherell still uh, getting over the tragic death of Tucker, Tucker Parkinson and I know you caught up with Coach Holt, and uh, he had some sentiments that he wanted to relay to the six-man community. He did, and um, thank you, Coach Holt, for reaching out to us. He wanted to let the entire six-man community know the Whit Herald community thanks each of you for your thoughts and prayers. The outpouring has been awesome. They continue to mourn, but feel the love from the six-man community, and it does give them some comfort. Well said, Bobby. Well said. Uh, so Whitherell wins that one 45 to nothing. Uh, probably maybe the game of the week. I don't know. I mean, we had some really close ones. But as far as just looking at records and matchups, in Division Two, a district matchup, Richland Springs for the second straight week faces a top 10 team. This time it was the Rochelle Hornets. And Richland Springs wins this one going away 56 to 24. Gage Barron's 125 yards rushing and two touchdowns. He also had a scoop and score and a Billy Perry, 89 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Also three of seven through the air uh, for 60 yards passing and a touchdown. Oh, and he had four sacks in the ball game. That's an amazing uh, mark right there. You uh, you see sacks, one, two, maybe three, but four sacks is just incredible. And, uh, you know, you talk about that game. I know that uh, one of the things that Richland Springs did, along with Whitherell, along with Gordon, along with a lot of schools out there, was referee appreciation, Bobby. And and I know you've been able to round up some stuff on that and uh, even a comment on the ref at the Baird versus Lingleville game. Oh, my goodness, yes. I think maybe it has caught on. And six-man communities are appreciating refs at a great rate. Let's keep that going. So with Harold Richland Springs and Gordon this week showed appreciation to officials on Friday night. And... Seriously, people, let's keep it up. They're doing a great job. Speaking of refs, uh, Friday night, a ref in Baird in the Baird versus Lingaville game brought, um, he takes his elementary aged kid with him everywhere. And obviously this kid really wants to emulate his dad as a ref, which is awesome. Uh, Dency got a bunch of pictures and they'll be up on our Backroads pod, uh, podcast page. The ref's name is Kobe Rives, I believe. Revis. Revis. Is it Revis? Colby Revis. Yep. And his son, Christian, they are two peas in a pod. Uh, Christian has his own flag and his own whistle. He does know when to use it and when not to use it. <laughs> and he is not on the field with his father, obviously. He's off of the field, uh, five feet at least, just like us photographers. But he's very animated and he mirrors everything his dad does. And we just think it's incredibly cool that Christian loves emulating his dad. And really, if you think about it, Craig, only six-man communities would welcome 
that type of family, you know, like bring your son to be a ref behind you. And I just think that makes us the best community ever. Oh, I'm, I'm totally with you. And, and I got to tell you, as much as we're hurting for referees, well, Christian, we, we might be able to put him out there because we might need him. I'm telling you, <laughs> you should see these pictures, Craig. They, I mean, he is awesome and he is so into it. I mean, the motions and everything. He's just great. <laughs> that is that is just awesome there. So uh, Richland Springs beats Rochelle 56 to 24. That's number seven, taking out number eight. And then we'll finish up the top 10 with Kroll and Chillicothe. And uh, Coach Parsley doesn't know how to uh, not hang at least half a hundred on anybody. They <laughs> defeat the, e the Eagles 67 to 6. Man, they can play some offense there in Coral this year. Uh, some other games going on out there. Hermley over Rotan, 56 to nothing. Tyson Digby, can you dig this? Five of six, 164 yards passing, five touchdowns, and also 69 yards rushing. Gage Gibson, uh, two receptions, two touchdowns. Those went for 71 yards. And I'm going to mess this last name up because I did when I was announcing it. Isaac Rocho and Ashton Doggett both got their first career varsity touchdowns there for the Cardinals. So that is great to see. Uh, for Coach Sammy Winters and his crew getting a little back roads luck there. I guess you call it luck. We're going to take it whether whether it is or not. How about we just call it luck? They can <laughs> call it whatever they want to. But, you know, that is so exciting for kids to get their first varsity um, score. It's it's there. I think there's probably nothing like it. Yeah, no, you're you're right there. How about this game? Highland and Ira. Had one heck of a battle Friday night, and it was the Bulldogs coming out on top 46-42 to in the loss for the Hornets. Cooper Bowen, 22 carries, 211 yards and two touchdowns. Tylen Balthrop, 15 carries, 199 yards and four touchdowns. And Highland, over 400 yards of offense, but it was the Bulldogs in the end putting up the stat that mattered most. They had the most points on the scoreboard and they win that one in a great district battle, 46-42. to 42. Man, that's one game I wanted to be um, in attendance at, but just didn't make it. But good Lord. Whew. Yeah, it, it sounded like that was one heck of a ball game. Uh, speaking of other district action, Silverton overgroom at 66-8. Sawyer Francis, he just averaged 21 yards a carry. Nine carries, 190 yards, and five touchdowns. He threw one for good measure, had a fumble recovery, drove the bus back home for Coach Kevin Hearn and put all the equipment away when they got there. Uh, Jace Alvarado, two carries, 54 yards, both of those for touchdowns, and Zayden Ortiz, six, a 65-yard uh, pick six for the Owls. And that really put Silverton in the driver's seat for that uh, first playoff or for that uh, district title there. Uh, but, boy, here's the scary thing. I was looking at it to see who Silverton potentially would play in a bi-district, Bobby, and if if you look at it and things hold out like we think they will, Silverton in the bi-district ground is going to have to play either Whitherell or Amherst. You want to talk about a bi-district matchup to start with. Oh, man. You know they're probably looking at that thinking, oh, my gosh, what did we do? <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. So it just get, gets you ready for the playoffs in a hurry. Mm -hmm. uh, May over Lamita, 62-54, to 54, Ben Harrell. 85 yards rushing and three touchdowns. He also had 73 yards receiving and a touchdown. Also 13 sacks. And then Braden Steele. I think Coach Steele might know this young man. 13 carries, 64 yards and a touchdown. Nine of 14, 255 and four touchdowns. And I'm guessing he claims Braden on the nights he does well. And 
maybe uh, says, no, that's that's my nephew on the Nazi. Doesn't do quite so well. I, I don't know, Bobby. <laughs> well, you know, that game was back and forth. I kept watching that score go back and forth, and I think it was probably a pretty exciting game. Oh, I, I agree with you. Well, speaking of Alameda, you've got a great note about one of their players, Roy Carr, and it's time to give Roy a huge shout out, Bobby. Oh, my goodness, yes. Roy Carr is a Lameda Hornet. He is a huge fan of the podcast, and he always asks us, you know, after the podcast is over, I don't know if you all know this, but I get to edit the podcast, you know, make sure all the ums and, and the stops and all the things that, you know, it just make it sound professional. And so usually when I'm editing the podcast, we get a question from Roy saying, when is the podcast going to be up? Because he's so excited about it. And you know what? That just makes my heart happy. So thank you, Roy Carr from Lameda. Thanks for listening and keep being an awesome Lameda Hornet. No doubt about it. And now we officially know we are up to four people that listen to the podcast <laughs> at least every week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I'm going to go back to that whole talking heads thing. Who wants to listen to that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of games, maybe in Richmond Springs Rochelle was a matchup of top 10, top 10 teams, but maybe the game of the night might have been Petersburg and Cress. Check this one out. Cress wins it 48 to 44. How did they win it? A game winning touchdown as time expired. Kingston Brumsley. Goes back, he's a freshman, by the way, goes back in the pocket, starts to the left, moves back over to the right, fires it between the hands of a Buffalo defender right into the arms of Xavier Pacheco for the winning touchdown. Brumley, only 7 of 15 for 46 yards, but two touchdowns and none bigger than that final one. Pacheco, he only had two catches. Both of them go for touchdowns, 18 yards. Uh, Cole Todd, 16 carries, 149 yards, two touchdowns. 12 tackles, two interceptions. One of those went for a touchdown, had a tackle for loss, had a fumble recovery. Uh, I would put more on here, but Coach Shelton ran out of things to tell me that, that Cole Todd did in that ball game. So well, a great game there from him. <laughs> well, you know, and Crest was playing for one of their team members um, who passed away last week. Um, again, there's just been so many of these, and it's just heartbreaking. But, you know, keep Crest in your prayers. Whit Harrell, Slidell, and Ira, Ira Ann, they've all lost kids this year, along with um, a lot of other folks. So, um, which reminds me, uh, let's see, Prairie Lee, the Indians, they won their first district game since 2016 this past week. How exciting is that, Craig? Oh, it is. They took out McDade 77 to 32, and that's just that's just awesome to see. Seven years, you don't win a district game, and now Prairie Lee has. And they're three and four on the season, so the Indians playing pretty good ball. They really are, and they have dedicated their season to one of their teammates who passed in July in a car accident. His name was DJ Cubit, and um, they are really playing for him this year. But congratulations to the Prairie Lee Indians. Y'all are doing a great job. Just keep it up. And one last note there on Prairie Lee, and I'm going to sound like Lehman in this one, but uh, 
you know, when, when I was typing up my uh, Super 6 storylines and getting ready for the podcast and all of that, obviously we had Prairie Lee in there. So I looked it up to see where it was at and I learned something new. Prairie Lee is named after Sam Houston's future wife, Margaret Lee. Really? There you go. Little, well, little, see, now you can tell your teachers that you learn history here on the Backroads Podcast. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> okay, Craig. <laughs> That's such a dad thing to say. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're so good at it, though. Oh, my goodness. You cracked me up. That is, oh, that's you funny. know what? That is really good information, though. It's cool. I love hearing, just like from Lehman, now, Craig, the history. <laughs> The history of six-man communities, and so that is really cool. Lehman must be rubbing off on me. I don't know. I, I need to be careful here. I, I think he is. He may be. He is. One last note that I want to I want to go back up to Crescent Petersburg, because I'm going to get in trouble if I don't give you this note. So uh, one last kangaroo had a really good night, Jalil Baker. I say this because I know his mom really, really well. His aunt works for me. Uh, Jaleel, 12 carries, 72 yards and a touchdown. Also a kickoff return for a touchdown, 11 tackles. I would get hung at the stake if I didn't bring Jaleel up and what a great game he had, Bobby. You know, he got the helmet sticker and from Texas 1A fan. And I love this. I love this so much. And more kids are doing this. And it just makes my heart happy because I'm just so glad they're excited. Larry gave him the helmet sticker and he said he literally jumped up and down and yelled, when he got the helmet sticker. I just think that's the coolest thing in the world that we can make them so excited and we can give them something to support their on the field efforts, not only athletically, but also character and, you know, body language, all that good stuff. And he did a great job. He did. Jalil's a very uh, engaging young man. And I will tell you, his mom, she has enough energy for you, me, and about uh, four counties. So <laughs> so he comes by it honestly. That's he, great. I love he, that. He definitely does. Uh, other games out there, Zephyr over Mullen. The stat of the night comes out of this one. So Jim Evitz, 70 yards rushing and a touchdown. Carson Floyd, 59 yards and two touchdowns. Also had a scoop and score. Caden Woodcock, a 41-yard touchdown run. No, those aren't the stats I'm talking about. It is the defensive effort the Zephyr Bulldogs put up on the Mullen Bulldogs. They held Mullen. I don't even know how this is even possible. It had to be a bunch of sacks. Minus 73 yards rushing, Bobby. Minus 73. They had. They were positive passing 20-something yards, so they finished with a negative 51 total yards. Minus 73 yards rushing. Even Westbrook's going. Now, that's good. I'm telling you, my gosh, that's just like hitting the rewind button. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, other games out there. Blanket beat Gustine 64 to 14. Cannon Kensing, 87 yards rushing, three touchdowns. Cameron Altman, 59 yards rushing. He had three scores as well. Gotta love this name. AC French, 51 yards rushing and two touchdowns. We will have to add that to our name list when it comes to six-man communities. Uh, other games out there. Brooke Smith over Lawn, 60 to 12. Aiden Ribble may have had the stats of the night, the actual positive stats. 15 carries, 253 yards, and seven touchdowns in this one for the Mustangs. Isaac Haby, a rushing and a receiving touchdown as well. A couple other scores out there of note. How about Grady getting the win over Sands, 44 to 35? The Wildcats continue to impress folks. 
Borden County, I know we talked to Coach Lemon off the air, very impressed with uh, the Cowboys, and uh, they take out uh, Coach Jones, Bearcats, 50 to nothing. Been a tough year there in Garden City uh, for the Bearcats, but I have no doubt that uh, Coach Jones will have them back on the right track in no time. Coolidge over Aquila, 50 to 46 in what had to be a barn burner of a game. I wish we had some stats on that one. And then Erion County over Eden, 82 to 32. Avalon upsets Covington, 62 to 18. That's impressive there. It is. Uh, so it looks like Avalon may be taking that district. We'll see. It will be interesting. And then let's uh, finish off the scores because we got to talk about this one. So Union Hill played High Island. Yes. But it was more than just playing a game. Oh, it was. Uh, and get this, how far is it from Union Hill to, to High Island? I mean, hours and hours, right? They're in and the hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you just keep driving to the end of the earth. They actually had a Thursday night game at High Island. So they left at 8.30 a.m. Thursday morning, got to High Island. They actually rented a house there in that area and... They played the game Thursday night. I guess they had a little fun Friday, which is great. I love that. If you're going to drive that far and you're going to the coast, you might as well have some fun. But they all stayed together. And it's good for team chemistry, too. You know, you join together. You have fun. They finally got back, I believe, yesterday. Not that they drove all night or anything. I'm sure they had a little fun, which, you know, every team deserves that every once in a while. So, yeah. So they got to go spend the night have some fun, and they finally got back to Union Hill yesterday afternoon sometime. Uh, that That's an awesome trip, and and I love this because that you actually, and I don't know how you came up with this, but you actually got some of the things that they needed to, to bring. So if you're going on a trip to High Island, here's what you need. You need a sleeping bag and a pillow. Obviously, you got to have your toiletries because <laughs> you just got to. You need to bring a towel. Yes, young men, we do take showers around here. <laughs> Three changes of clothes, not one, two, or four. You need three. <laughs> they, they they obviously have not met me because it would have been about 10. Uh, <laughs> you need nice clothes for a dinner out. Now, that would have been interesting to see what the young men thought were nice clothes because uh, that can get interesting with uh, young men and what they consider to be nice clothes. Usually, you have to be very specific when you, <laughs> when you give that directive. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you got to bring a swimsuit. Well, yeah, you're going to be down there on the coast. You got to have a swimsuit. Optional items. You might want to bring an air mattress. Yeah, I would have signed up for that. You also need a folding or a camping chair. Get ready. Kickoff is set for seven o'clock. So, well, and I got great. that. I got that off the Union Hill Facebook page. I'm telling you, I stocked the school Facebook pages looking for stuff. And when I saw this, I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> that that is that is just wonderful uh other notes that we've got out there the national anthem at sydney i've got to give this kid a shout out orion grant sent this video to me but sydney eagle student and football player cameron grant played the national anthem on his electric guitar complete with fireworks in the background prior to Sydney's game against Mullen to what a week ago, Friday. Um, I have to say it was fantastic. Ryan sent us the video and we have it posted on the Backroads webpage. Let me tell you, go take a look folks. Great job, Cameron. Keep playing and keep making people smile because that was a fantastic 
fantastic rendition of the national anthem. So we have the next Jimi Hendrix uh, sitting there in Sydney. I'm telling you, you should see him. He's got his pads off, but he's got his football pants and his cleats on, and he is just wailing on that electric guitar. It was outstanding. That is great. Uh, other notes that we have out there, how about Throckmorton playing a 3A school? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Uh, I don't think they had anyone to play, and they may have had too many open dates, so I'm sure O'Hant said, hey. Anybody want to play six man? So three A Keen said, "Yeah, we'll send twenty players down there, and we'll just play six man against Throckmorton." Well, Throckmorton came away with the win, eighty eight to forty two, and as you and I both know, this is an extremely rare occurrence. Um, I'd be interested in asking the Keen players what they thought of our fast paced, extremely exciting six man game. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. And I would imagine a change um, because, you, you know, it, it is funny because oftentimes a young man, you know, their parents will move into a six man community and oh, my goodness, you know, you, you and I hear it all the time, Bobby, this kid's going to be incredible. And they do turn out incredible a lot of times, but it doesn't happen right away because the angles and everything with the game is so different. It takes a little bit to catch up. It is. And, you know, Craig, I guess you've seen Lehman joined us. I finally talked him into coming on the podcast. Lehman, how rare of an occurrence is that? A six-man school playing like a 3A school who just decided to play six-man. Do you know? Thanks for having me on, first of all. Sorry I joined a little late, but uh, uh, pretty rare nowadays. I mean, the last time I can think of something, I don't know. They weren't 3A, it was 2A, but Throckmorton when Mike Reed was there, when back in or when Throckmorton was competing for state titles, they uh, played Winthorst in a half. First half of the game was eleven man. Second half of the game was six man. Okay. And when I think Winthorst, I'll have to remember correctly, but uh, Winthorst was up at the half. I think it was just like eight to zero or eight to six. It, it was like really close, but Winthorst won the eleven man half. But then Throckmorton just killed him in the six-man half. So Throckmorton won the game. But uh, <laughs> So it's what Th Throckmorton was involved in both those. But Keen, is that how you say it, Keen? K-E-E-N-E. Yeah. They didn't have a football program. And they started a football program from scratch. And like you said, they are technically a 3A school. But they started – They their coach, who was a six-man guy, his name escapes me, he thought the best route to take to get the school accustomed to football was to start as a six man program. Yeah. So they were three, a plan outlaw six man. And I don't know. Uh, I, I can't, I don't know if they're still an outlaw school or if they're in a three, a district now, I can't remember, but they're in a three, a district. I looked okay. it up. Yeah. That was this, this must be there for, yeah. But I mean, it's a, that's how, that's how they kind of got, into that i guess so that it's cool that they're open to do that i mean i don't understand like quite honestly i don't understand why like six a's don't have six man jv teams like why not i mean go get your freshman get a freshman six man team out there and practice your speed you know with just your running backs and wide receivers and a quarterback go out there and practice some skills craig well, would happy want to play amarillo like that well, I, I mean, it'd, it'd be fun. I mean, when you think about it, 
it really is nothing more than the seven on seven they play in the summer, except they get to put pads on and they have one less player. So, yeah. oh, that's it's true. A, it's a, it would be a good way for some of those super big schools to uh, to uh, develop younger, you know, skill position players and work on conditioning and speed. I I, I think they should do it. I like the idea you've got of playing eleven man game. You know, I've I've seen some teams. You you know, you look at Happy the last couple of years, Westbrook the last couple of years, Rankin. They've had enough kids. It'd been fun to watch them play a half at the eleven man level because, you know, I, I don't think our six man schools get enough credit for having outstanding football players that could really play at the eleven man level. Yeah, I agree, and I think the problem is I think a lot of six man schools and coaches would be all for it. As long as, like, uh, I think injury on the line of scrimmage might be an issue for some six-man coaches if they don't feel like they're big enough up front. But the 11-man coaches, I would probably aren't going to go for it, I would assume, because they don't want to they don't want to lose to a six-man school. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think that was one of the things, like, some Wind, Windthorst people were were squawking about, you know, when, when that game happened. But, uh, but yeah, some of that should happen. It'd be it'd be nice to see some of those it some of those uh, schools compete against uh, eleven man, a smaller eleven man school. I agree with you. Well, Lehman, welcome in. Hey, we we got a couple more notes here to finish up, and uh, definitely feel free to chime in. One of those, and Bobby, you probably got the same email that I got, and it comes from uh, William James there in Gordon. Just talking about the chain gang and, and wanting some appreciation for them. And you know what? He's 100% right because just like the referees, if you don't have a chain gang, it, it's just it's tantamount to needing that for a football game. And they are so important on Fridays and Thursday nights. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, we have a, my, Michael Leal, who is a one of our photographers. He lives in Throckmorton. When Throckmorton played Losers Boca, they didn't have a chain gang, so he put down this camera and he picked up the down marker. So, <laughs> you know, he was he was there to volunteer for whatever came his way. So, I mean, yes, chain gangs are important. Mr. James said that they have a gentleman uh, from Gordon whose last year to help out on the chain gang was last year in 2022. And get this, Craig, he started like Mr. William James did in 1970, working on the chains while in high school way back in 1964. Now that is a long time to run chains. What is that, 38 years? That is a very long time to run chains because uh, in 1970, I was one year old, Bobby. So uh, that's a long time ago. Well, I was born in 70, so. <laughs> oh, but. You know, it's really cool because there are several chain gangs out there who have been volunteering for years. Two at the top of my head I can think of is Ira and O'Donnell. They have very substantial chain gangs. And I believe the Ira chain gang does the all-star games during the summertime for the T Texas Six-Man Coaches Association games. Send us your chain gang names and a little commentary and you can bet that we'll give them a shout out here on the back roads. Definitely. Final note that we want to get to, and it's a uh, it, it, it's a good note, Bobby. Uh, it, it still makes you a little sad, but it's a good note. And it comes out of Anton. Uh, and this past, past Friday, Anton named their football field the Matthew Hoover Family Field 
if you remember, Coach Hoover passed away last November, very much unexpectedly. I believe 38 years old. Uh, Coach Hoover's family was in, was in attendance for the naming celebration. Uh, go check out the pictures on the webpage. Um, and did an outstanding job of honoring a wonderful coach. And I know we all miss Coach Hoover, and uh, it's just great to see them honor him in that way. It really is. And um, I'm so glad they sent us pictures to use because um, they have they put up a new sign and and the players were there to receive it. And it was just a really good ceremony. And they had that before their game on Friday. There's really no good segue to this, but, you know, <laughs> volleyball, the playoffs are coming. And I know all of you volleyball parents are really excited about that. Um, I have the playoff sheet ready. I just need the teams to fill the slots. And that will be coming here in just a couple of weeks. Also in volleyball news, remember when we had those three players from Netches that career kills, I believe it was? I, I yes. think so. I think it was. Well, we got three at Netches who hit a huge milestone. Jesse Sumter Sr., Aubrey Kincaid Jr., and Joelle Jenkins Jr. all celebrated more than 500 career digs. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. You know, they need to keep on moving. And, you know, Netches is up there in the rankings. So uh, maybe I'm sure they'll be getting more of those career digs and kills. Right now, guess what we're in the thick of? I know you know because we've talked about you running after Kaysen. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be cross country. And, and there's so much going on. And, I, and I'm going to steal Bobby's thunder here. But just remember, keep an eye out on the Texas 1A fan cross country page. Bobby does have the top 20 boys and girls posted for all regions. You don't want to miss that. The top 20 is posted for every region going into the regional cross-country meets on October 23rd, which is regions 1, 3, and 4, and October 24th for region 2. And then the top 25 in the state after district is also available on the Facebook page. There's so much you can get out of that, and it really is a really cool thing that you put that together. Um, I will make one comment, Bobby, and you and I talked about this before we began. So if you look at it, and it looks like someone is about seven seconds off the mark uh, with Tatum Goodman in Spring Lake Earth. Let me just tell you something. The District 4-1A cross-country meet was held, I, I don't know what you want to call it, Bobby, up, up Mount Everest, down Mount Everest. It was unreal. The hardest course I have ever seen cross-country uh, runners run. So, Take the 11.55 that uh, Tatum Goodman ran uh, with a grain of salt because I it made it made Lubbock look easy, and I didn't think that was possible. No, not with the big hill at May Simmons. But, yeah, I saw some pictures of that course, and it looked like it was all uphill. It was a little ridiculous. It was it was not fun, and it was awful on a parent trying, <laughs> trying to get into spots. I got to tell you, I... I, uh, Lehman, I lost 15 pounds on that trek. Now I, uh, I consumed <laughs> it right back a couple hours later, but <laughs> I got to give good. a big shout out to Lehman because I have been doing all the individual times and, uh, rankings and things. And Lehman decided to be a glutton for punishment and 
average all of the team times across the regions. Tell us about that, Lehman. Oh, man, it was fun. Like, that's why I wanted to come on today, not talk about football. I do have one football note. I'll get back. Uh, Vance Jones, I think, had his 300th career win, UIL win last week. So Holy I, I wanted cow. to put that out there. Holy yeah, cow. Not, I don't want to go back backwards because I want to get deep into cross country here. Oh, boy. But, uh, I did want to mention that. So that's what well, I have. Now, you he have might, created I, I a monster, missed Bobby. A game or two. I might have missed a game or two, but at least he has 300 UIL wins. I know I created a monster. Hall of Famer there. Actually, he he reached out to me about this, didn't you, Lehman? Oh, what? Vance Jones or the no, cross, cross country. country? All right, back to cross country. Yeah. Yeah, because I w- I'm curious. I ran cross country, okay? It was not good, but I ran. Okay? <laughs> I, I ran in college, and it, it I like cross country, okay? So I'm, I always look at times and I, teams and all that stuff. I wanted to know – we, we, of course, I live in Blackwell, and I know Blackwell has a pretty good girls cross country team, and they're trying to build the program up and all that stuff. So I was curious where they ranked time wise with everybody. So that's kind of where this jumped off at. I was like, "Well, heck, I'm just gonna." I reached out to Bobby. I was like, "Hey, when are you gonna do the uh, team rankings?" <laughs> it is very difficult to do compile individual ranking or the individual times is just the work that Bobby does. Like, I can't thank you enough for it. And it's, it goes on, you know, it's kind of unsung. I think that all the work you do and I appreciate it. So that's why I was like, well, I'll, I'll do the, I'll do the team stuff. So you don't have to, cause you already do enough. And I so appreciate that's I spent, that. That's what I spent this, this week weekend doing. It's frustrating because not to get the team the average team time, okay, you have, for those that don't know, you take the top five runners for each team, their times, and average them. That's your average team time. Some districts didn't report their team times. So what you got to do is, and thank, thank goodness Bobby did this in an Excel sheet with all the district runners, I had to go in and find the five runners for the teams and average them myself. And I do not like math, and I definitely don't like time math. <laughs> okay. So but anyway, with that said, it was fun to do. I was glad to do it. And y'all were talking about courses and while I was looking over all this data, it's hard to get a good gauge of time like you're like you were saying with uh Spring Lake Earth's course. There was one course that was over for girls, it was over two miles, so it was a longer course. And I think there was a course that was a little short. I think it was there was a short course. So the times are really fast at one district. And can be really seem really slow at another district. And of course, if you have a bunch of hills, you know, like you're talking about, that's going to affect time too. So it's like you said, you take this stuff with a grain of salt, but it's good data to have. And it gives you kind of a, a good snapshot of where kind of where your team is going into regional. It was fun to do. Like I found, you want to talk about some things I found? Yeah, those are, these are crazy. Okay, there's some cr- pretty interesting things here. Uh, the teams are placed one through three that advance to region, and it's on a point system, and it's just like a track meet, right? And the lowest point total is what you want. And the lowest possible to- point total is 15. That's the lowest possible you could get. That would be like running a perfect meet, your team running a perfect meet. You place one through five. Three boys teams did that. No girls teams did it, but three boys teams did that. 
Jayton Boys scored a 15, Fayetteville Boys scored a 15, and Zephyr Boys scored a 15 to win their districts. They need a shout out because that those it, it doesn't matter how many runners are in your district. That's hard to do. It's very hard to do. And on my stat of the week, football included, is Jayton. I don't know what's going on at Jayton. They're girls. And, Bobby, you might be able to tell us a little what's in the water over there or what the <laughs> secret is because their boys and girls are incredibly fast. But Jayton's number fifth runner, their fifth best runner, ran at 1843.2 boys. That, the fifth place runner, he would have won 10 district meets. That's an insane time for your number five. Think about that. It that is. That's crazy. But while we're talking about number five runners, though, when you're talking about one teams, like uh, cross-country teams, the number five runner, in my opinion, is the most important runner. Because without the number five person, you don't have a team. There was definitely, looking at some of the districts, there were some schools that didn't have five runners. And if they would have had one or two other runners, they would have qualified for regional easy. Like Dimebox, Dimebox boys had three runners in the top 10, but they didn't have enough runners to make a team. So that totally, you know, if, if they could get one or two other people out, it helps them out. There's a lot of schools like that. The number five runners are like super important. And there was one school, okay, they had the slowest time, the slowest boys time. <laughs> All right. Richards, Texas. My big round of applause for the boys at Richards, Texas for going and showing up for the meet because they play second in the district because no other, only Fayetteville fielded a, fielded a team other than Richards. And they had six runners. And they're number five and six runners who helped make that team go to regional. Like, they wouldn't go to regional. I don't think they had a top ten individual. So all those kids um, get – you know, their school gets a second place district trophy. Those kids get to go and compete in the postseason at regional because of their number five and six runners. And their times are super, <laughs> super slow. <laughs> if I give out an award for having heart, like then those, you know, those runners that, I mean, it's not easy to show up and run on a Saturday morning. It's just not. And, and they went out there and, you know, they did their best and, they competed and they helped their teams, you know, advance. So number five runners, number six runners, you know, hats off to y'all. And Richard's boys, good job. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw that. Um, um, I think I saw something on the Richard's Facebook page about their cross-country team, but may have been one of the, the few teams that they've had. Uh, going cross country so that is really exciting for that community and and shout out to those richards panthers they went out and they finished the race and that's all that matters and without those without those runners and any number five any five or six runners you know without those you went teams wouldn't wouldn't exist and you wouldn't be going to regional so that's true the, the time doesn't matter that's right they they were a part of a team and they competed at, to support their team. That that really is all that matters. I thought that was pretty cool. So um, it was fun putting those together. Uh, like I said, Jayton, you gotta tell us a secret about Jayton because their boys have one of the best times in state and their girls too. I think Roby's girls are 
there's a couple of girls teams that are like insane. Oh, I'll talk about another anomaly. Sometimes the average time, like your average team time, a team could get second place but have the best average team time. And a perfect example is Spring Lake Earth Girls because uh, Tatum's time is so fast, it makes up for the, you know, number four, number five runner times. So, mm-hmm. like, Spring Lake Earth Girls, they're, they got second in district. They got second behind Nazareth, but Spring Lake Earth Girls had a faster time. Spring Lake Earth Girls' average team time was 14 minutes, 9 seconds. Nazareth was 14 minutes, 33 seconds. It can be a little deceiving sometimes. There was several districts like that. Looking at the times and stuff, it looked like Boys District 8 was a heck of a meet to go to. Like it looked like all the, it was like one or two points separating first, second, third. And it was one of those time anomalies where, you know, Wellman Union was first in district and Sands was second, but Sands had a better average time. So. It's uh, that that must have been exciting me to watch just looking over at just looking at the time. So it's uh, it's funny how how some of that happens. And actually, there was a boys district where the number two and number three team both had the exact same average team time. <laughs> it was Prairie Lee and Whit- Walder. Is that how you say it? Walder. Walder. Yeah, they both had a 20 minute, 24 second average team time. Some of the interesting things you run across seeing this, you know what I mean? It's uh, it was fun to do, and and that can like you pointed out to me, Lehman earlier. I wasn't going to post the the team averages. I've never done that because, like you, I do not like math, and I'm an English teacher, so it does help coaches like the first top ten teams figure out exactly what each runner needs to run to perhaps move on from regional to state. And that's important. And when you're talking about times and coaching the cross country, I mean, if you if you can shave, if your number five runner, for example, can shave off five seconds a mile, that might be enough to for that person to pass three or four runners, and your team gets a little lower score, and you you you're third in the region or or something, you know, like seconds. And if they see that information, and that's why it's it's cool that you're putting out all the the cross country stuff like you do with track every year. It's it's a big it's a big help to all those uh, coaches I know, it, and and I encourage everybody to go look at it and and pour over it. And in the future, submit submit your times and uh, team places and stuff like that, so it can it can probably grow next year is what I'm what I expect. But I I love cross country. <laughs> it's crazy, but and it's uh. That's why I wanted to come on and talk about was cross country just because couldn't uh, get him on here for Craig for football, but we can get him on here for cross country. Well, How I, ironic. It, it is ironic. It, and it was hilarious. And you were talking about a couple of things there, uh, Lehman. One, I think what's uh, kind of lost in the whole thing with the Jayton boys is that their two top play, uh, two top runners are arguably maybe their top two football players as well. Griff Reel and Sean Staniland finished one, two. Well, you don't get much better than that. Now, 
I don't know about what's in the water, but when you're Griff Real and you're six foot four, you know, you're going to cover a little more ground a little faster than most people. So <laughs> that 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 is awfully helpful. Uh, the other one, though, you were talking about average times in like Spring Lake Earth having a faster average time than Nazareth. So people can understand that who don't like math. You know, Tatum Goodman ran at 1155. Well, the top girl from Nazareth, uh, Maddie, Madison Brockman, who happens to be my niece, uh, 1402. Well, that's a over a two-minute difference. And so you can see where that really impacts uh, the averages um, when you start to figure that up. I will tell folks, Tatum is so fast that there were two pace uh, vehicles. They had a gator pacing her and a golf cart pacing the rest of the crew. So, oh, my goodness. It, I've, I've never seen them go with two different ones, but I guess because nobody had ever run on this course before, and she is so much faster than everybody else. They actually went out with with two different pacers, uh, one for her and one for the rest of the group. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I had I had a father of a, a girl that runs cross country ask me, you know, what after after he saw uh, Tatum's time, <laughs> he was like, what 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 is it about? Like, can my daughter be like that? Is it? Is it training? Is it just training? Is it just some, you know, they have larger lungs, <laughs> like, like <laughs> some, some, something you can't, you know, you can't train, you know, it's just a God given gift, you know? And I was like that, that girl's probably God given gift and insane training. I mean, that's, that's like a unicorn. Like you shouldn't, you know, I'm not going to say your daughter can't be like that, but. She also has ridiculous work ethic, which I think yeah. is, is a lot of it. Because cross country, and this is why I said, cross country is, a lot of it is mental, I think. If you can get it, I think if you can get it in your head that you can get better and you can get faster and you work, and then you have to work at it, like you said, like put in the time, you got to put in the road work, you can get better. But I don't know if you can beat that girl from Spring Lake Earth. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But she's so much fun to watch. And I am so jealous that you already got to watch her, Craig. Oh, it's always fun to to watch her run. It's just, it is a, it is at a level, especially at the 1A level where you just go, are you kidding me? It is, it is just, it, it's unreal. And I would encourage anybody to head out on uh, October 23rd at 10 a.m. at May Simmons Park in Lubbock. That's the Region 1 Girls Cross Country Meet. And that's when Tatum Goodman will be running. And it's just, she knows that course so well now. She will run a ridiculously good time. And it's it's just fun to watch because what a lot of people don't understand is even at a mile and a half in, she does not look like she's she's going hard, but she's it, it looks like she's just running full speed. Sprinting. That's yes. what it looks like. She looks like she's sprinting and it doesn't even look like she's tired. Yeah, when she comes out, when they, they shoot that gun off, for the 1A girls, it looks like she comes out of a cannon and she doesn't stop. No, because you you look at her and you think, uh, you do realize you're about to run two miles. This is not the 100 meter dash. No, but she it never runs, stops. No, she runs the whole thing like that. And it is incredible <laughs> to see. It is. It is. So, And and you're right, Lehman, that the number five runner is really, really important because here's the fun part about that. The lower you can get as far as finishing the better you are for your team point totals. And that back half of the pack is where you can really uh, pick up some folks and, you know, move from finishing say 50th at a regional meet to 44th. And that can play huge when you start looking at team totals. 
for does. sure. And I think some I'm looking at some of those, uh, you know, looking over all the district totals and placings and stuff. You can see I could see the pack like pack running like you. I can almost envision like seeing where the schools are in the times. And it's like and you can tell uh, what schools have good co- cross country coaches, because if you if you can get that that pack or, or get a pack there like and get your three, four, five, six runners, you know, and, and have it, it, that's where coaching comes in to, to be, to be honest. Like if you, if you have a great cross country coach, they can, they can get that pack running down. I mean, you're like said, like, I don't know how much coaching goes into the girl from spring Lake earth. Like, you know, the coaches just say, Hey, go out there and do what you do, you know, (laughs) but, but that's where you really – that's where your team can really make headway and you, you, you see signs of a great cross-country coach is how if they can get like – if they can teach those run those mid-runners and lower runners on your team to stay with a pack and, and learn how to drift and, and pass on your last – you know, your last sprint, that will pay dividends, you know. That, and that, that will advance you to regional. That will advance you to state. So – it's, yeah, uh, it, it, it's easy to see which schools out there really get into cross country. And because you're right, coaching makes a huge difference. You see it in times, you know, they're, they're constantly keeping track of everybody's times. They know where they're at and they know where they want them to be. And it, it, it I know it seems weird for folks to sit there and think coaching cross country. It's just a bunch of kids running. There's a lot more to it than that. And it, it very much is a, a team sport. And I think that's, that's the part. Once you get into that, you can really get to enjoy cross country running. Yeah, you can bring home a state championship as a team and not have one person in the top five. Well, yeah, I mean that's uh, like I said, I here at Blackwell because I see it because I know some of the the people, parents, and stuff like that. I don't think Blackwell. I live in Blackwell, so sometimes I say we <laughs> before anybody accuses me of being a homer, but. <laughs> Blackwell, I don't think, has ever had a team advance to state in anything, ever. Ever? Uh, our our football team was a state semifinalist, so I guess that would count that in two that or in two thousand eighteen. So that's where you know they're trying to, and I you you know I know there's other schools out there trying to do the same thing. Like they're trying to make school history. They might not be going for to win state they might that might not be their goal like but their goal is to be the first to go to state you know right it's like it's steps in a program you know it's that's what program building is so that's true and that's uh you know and cross country is just like anything else like i know there i'm not big into tennis i'm sure there's tennis programs just like that where they're all right we need to you know what i mean so that's well that would be craig's thing yeah tennis (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, there's not team tennis at 1A. You'd have to play the 3A and down group, which can get oh. very difficult. I know that uh, uh, in some of that, Utopia will compete in that. Um, but uh, that's the only 1A school that I know of that may be doing team tennis. Well, we'll say golf. Then. And it'd be well, very similar because it'd be like taking trying to take strokes off your your number three golfer, you know, to try to boost the team to to get that first trip to state, you know, that kind of thing. So cross country is fun. Uh, I wish, and it, it's interesting, like I said, like out of all the districts, the the maximum number of teams that can go to regional 
is 24 because three out of every district, there's eight districts in a region. There's no 1A boys or girls region that is fielding 24 teams. There's districts that aren't, you know, for whatever reason, aren't competing in cross country and don't have the interest, I guess. But it's it's a good sport. It, 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 it helps build other programs and it gets you in shape early in the school year. So it's I'd encourage other schools that don't have cross country or you're not emphasizing it hard or you need a couple more runners to try to try to grow the program, try to get get some kids involved. And like I said, with Richards, time doesn't matter because Richards, Richards boys are a perfect example of that. So, hey, 25 years from now, they can say, yeah, we went to the regional cross country meet. Yeah. Nobody, right. has to know, nobody has to know what they ran. You just That's show true. up. Your, you just show up and you go, yep, I, I was part of a regional cross country team. Well, not I, only that, but they get a patch for their letter jacket. too. Yeah. Patch, and I can I'm a perfect example of that. My senior year. We had a boys cross country team at Blackwell for the first time in like five years or something. And we got third in district. So we advanced to regional. Somebody was asking me if I had our time. So I was trying to find and research, find our times. Uh, somebody at the school wanted them. And I did not find our times. But I will tell you, in Region 2 in 1999, the Blackwell boys qualified. We qualified for regional as a team. And got dead last with <laughs> 555 points. <laughs> so we were not good. <laughs> but, but we you were qualified. a qualifier, baby. <laughs> and I got a I got a medal to prove it and a patch on my jacket. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, well that bragging that's awesome rights. Hey, bragging rights for Lehman. I'll own it. We, we somebody's gotta get last and we got it. <laughs> that's awesome well bobby that's gonna wrap it up for us here on the backroads podcast looking forward to week of 10 coming up next week maybe we'll have lehman drop in again who knows what will happen here on the backroads but you don't want to miss it but until then next sunday i'm craig spree with happy sports network and pressbestsports.com and i'm bobby brown with texas 1a fan remember go forward and do good <laughs>